Welcome to Crash Chords Autographs. Today, Matt welcomes Lex the Lexicon Artist, a Taipei-raised, Oakland-based nerdcore rapper. With the debut full-length album out called Raging Ego, and two music videos for the singles Glasses and Artist Anthem, Lex discusses her early exposure to rap in Taiwan, and who her early influences were. They discuss her visit to New York City, what it was like to perform at South by Southwest 2018, and chat about the connectivity of social media, and how it's helped her reach more people more quickly and directly. And so, from her love of anime to the progress she's already made on her second album, here's presenting Matt Storm and Lex the Lexicon Artist. And welcome to another episode of Autographs. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. And my guest this week is Lex the Lexicon Artist. Hi! Lex, thank you for being on my show. Thank you for having me, Matt. My pleasure. So, I introduced myself to Lex on the internet uh, when I saw your live performance from South by Southwest. Oh, yeah. By our mutual friend, uh, Shea for the Dark Lord, recorded one of your songs. So uh, let's start by talking about South by Southwest. Was that your first year performing there? Yes, indeed. It was, actually. This year, 2018, was my first South by. Um, the, the whole, you know, impetus for going there didn't, you know, come along until a month before where one of our, you know, mutual friends, uh, DJ Rockman, mm-hmm. who is a local kind of pr- promoter in Austin, was like, hey, I have some extra spots on my my three shows. Do you want to come out? I'm just like, oh, fuck yeah. Of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm hella coming out. And then I got another show. So I did like four shows in three days, all unofficial. Uh, and then I attended the official showcase where, you know, all of our nerd nerdcore rapper friends are. So, yeah. yeah, that was kind of the progression of the week. Have, was that the first time that you had really met a lot of those performers or had you worked with them before? Yeah, so uh, for the most part, I actually met all of the nerdcore fans and nerdcore rappers there. Oh, that's um, awesome. There are a couple of people, like Shabzilla, mm-hmm. uh, who I had previously met in Seattle, you know, on tour to Seattle and things like that. There are a couple of people um, who, you know, I was like, you know, uh, I think it really was just Shabzilla, actually, mm-hmm. that I'd previously met who made it out. Oh, Shabzilla and Bill Beats. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, like, they're a team. Uh, everyone else I knew from the internet, from like you know the kind of like nerdcore sphere within yep. Facebook, um, and I got to meet them all in person at this event, which I thought was a great idea and was such a good opportunity for marketing and yeah. you know well not even marketing networking and making friends. Sure, you know, totally. I think that was you know the number one benefit of me being there, and I had a great time. It was amazing, and you know ever since then. I feel like my career has been on, on an uptick, so no That's regrets. awesome. That, that's really cool. Yeah, I, one of my favorite things about the nerdcore community is that since I got into it, um, I, the first one I listened to, like a lot of people, was uh, Front A Lot. And then uh-huh. through Front A Lot, I met Schaefer at a live show. Uh-huh. And then through Schaefer, I met everybody else. Just yeah. going to shows that he performed in. It's how I met Michael Kill and Tribe One, uh-huh. um, Sulphur. And uh, what I love about the community of artists, as well as the fans, is they all are super supportive. Yeah. And like they they can smell a, a stinker, but also for the most part, like if you've got skill of any kind, they just support each other and build each other up and want to work together, which I think is really cool. Yeah. And I mean, I totally agree with that. Of course, Nerdcore hip hop is still hip hop, and yeah. there's always beef in any hip hop scene, as That's I'm true. sure you know. Yes. Um, but as far as like you know, hip hop goes, you could do a lot worse than nerdcore. As far as you know, not having that much beef, people are you totally. know generally people who are making good content are supporting other people who are making good content. Yeah, um, and it really is like let your content speak for yourself. You know, uh, if you're making good content, then people will notice, and people will share it, and people yeah. will think it's great. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. Um, and like, so the, the thing that drew me to your music at first was the live performance from South by and how the energy you have on stage and like the clear comedic timing you have, like talking about, um, artist anthem and Uh some of your other videos and how you like to make fun of yourself and Mm -hmm. you like to poke fun at the scene and the industry and all of that stuff. Yeah. Does, did you always have a love of comedy growing up or are you into a lot of comedy? Ah, that's a really good question. Um, I, I never thought about it that much. Mm -hmm. I think I was just kind of surrounded by comedy. Um, I think I tried to 
do just like straight up stand up at one point, and mm-hmm. I really was not as good at it. Um, I honestly am a musician like mm-hmm. through and through, and so applying that to like a musical context uh, made a lot more sense to me sure. than just kind of standing there and being like, "Hey, how can I trigger jokes in this like <laughs> dead audience?" You know. Yeah. Um, I was inspired a lot by Bo Burnham, uh, who's mm-hmm. a musical comedian, yeah. uh, and I watched a lot of him when I was like in high school. Uh, and you know, he has a song called "I Am an Artist," which I yeah. didn't like. You know, it wasn't based on that, but it's kind of like there are similar tones. Yeah, know? sure. Yeah, yeah. So, Absolutely. yeah, he's one of my influences. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have a new record coming out mm-hmm. uh, as of when this airs, which uh, will be later this month. It'll mm-hmm. already be out. Yeah. So um, my first question with uh, Raging Ego mm-hmm. is. Um, how long has this been in process? Because I know there are songs that have been out on YouTube for a little bit on mm-hmm. there, and like you have a remix of Glasses on there, yeah. which is one of the first songs I heard by you. Yeah. How long have you been working on this full length record? Uh, two years total. Two years. Um, okay. And maybe like 50% to 60% of it was done in the last three months after I came out of South by when I was very inspired to record, to write, to do mm-hmm. everything. So a lot of the songs, like Peep Game, Mistakes, Curse of Creativity, and Psych Major were all completed, you know. Uh, you know, kind of around South by, you mm-hmm. know, like some before and like some after. Uh, so those are some of like the most recent songs, but there are songs like Luther, um, songs like Sales Freak, mm-hmm. you know, obviously older songs that I previously released like Glasses, um, which, you know, I redid like vocally mm-hmm. and uh, kind of put it out as a, a kind of a redux in this new album um, that I've been working on for years, you know, since the project started. The project started in July of 2016. Cool. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the songs have kind of like from from that time have kind of made it on onto here. But for the most part, it's, you know, pretty new. Uh, I will, uh, you know, I'll consider it. I'll consider it a kind of like two-year process, but um, not. It was like a lot of stop and start between writing each song. I was gonna say, yeah. so you weren't working on it consistently for two years. No, it was no, over no. two years. Yeah. Um, and when so I noticed that you have a ton of producer collaborations, which mm-hmm. is really awesome. And like, like my favorite thing about the song that you do with Kill that Kill produces is it's of course the one song of the four tracks that I can sample that has the more indie rock vibe yes. because he's always into that stuff and exactly. he's a great guitar player and drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed that also, um, you know, you genre hop quite a bit, at least on the four songs I can hear. There's a little bit of punk, a little bit of indie rock, um, a ton of hip hop. Um, is that something you always kind of set out to fuse or is it just kind of natural to your writing? Uh, great question. I think it's more natural than anything. I really just write what I want to write. And mm-hmm. sometimes I get the inspiration to write like a garage punk song like Psych Major. I was right. like, okay, Kill would be like the best person to produce something like this. So I, you know, I wrote, you know, I, I composed the song and then I hit up Kill. I was like, hey, can you like flesh this out and play the guitar on it and like make it sound awesome? He was like, yeah, I can do that. That's uh, awesome. That's very cool. <laughs> yeah. And as for other songs, um... Uh, as far as you know, influences go, I'm, I'm influenced by a whole bunch of different things like punk sure. rock, you know, like a little bit of like chip tune, electronic pop, uh, electronic, you know, like EDM from like sure. the early 2010s, nice. um, industrial music, heavy metal. Uh, so there's a little bit of all of that, and I wanted to reflect kind of you know the myriad of influences that I've had um, in this record, which is all about me because mm-hmm. it's my debut. Um, Something that I was concerned about, which uh, w- was um, having it sound like a kind of patchwork, a kind of mm. like quilt thing, because there were so many producers on it. But I've actually gotten a lot of feedback that says that, you know, um, people think that it actually is a cohesive record, which mm-hmm. is cool, which I like to hear. <laughs> well, on the four, tra- the four sample tracks that you get access to on Bandcamp, if mm-hmm. you pre-order it... Mm-hmm. Um, there's even a consistency, and I think it's in your energy and the way you sing slash rap. There's mm-hmm. a cons- sort of to the character, as it were, of Lex. Yeah. There's, there's a consistency there that I think is really easily translatable, mm-hmm. and that's why the genre doesn't really matter because yeah. your personality comes across really shining. If anyone's looked at you at all online, like you can really tell based on what you hear, which Thank I think you. is really neat. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's um, really good to know. Uh, talking about your influences, so I know looking at your bio, you live in o- Oakland now, but you grew up in Taipei. Correct. So when did you come to the U.S.? Okay, so um, 
uh, I was born in Evanston, Illinois. Mm. Uh, you know, I uh, my parents were there at the time, mm-hmm. and I, I was born there. I lived there for two years. So okay. my first two years spent in the U.S. in the okay. Midwest. And when I was two years old, I moved to Taipei, Taiwan. Okay. Uh, and then I spent the next 16 years there growing up. Wow. Uh, so it was not until I was 18 that I moved out here to uh, California. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I went to school at UC Berkeley mm-hmm. uh, for you know three years. I graduated in three years. So I lived in Berkeley for about four years. And mm-hmm. then Oakland for one. And uh, so, yeah. um, growing up in Taipei, did you have access to a ton? Because I don't have any clue what the music scene's like over there. Okay. Do you have any access to any hip hop, punk rock, and the kind of stuff that you're into now when you were over there? Yeah. So um, this is going to be. I'm going to try and make make this as not long winded <laughs> as possible. Okay. Uh, the Taiwanese music scene is very top down, meaning. Okay. Um, when I was there, it was very hard for me to get access to like underground indie stuff, gotcha. and I didn't know what was going on. You know, I was mostly listening to like top down, you know, label supported big stars. Yeah. You know, uh, C pop. You know, people like Jay Chow or right. Jolin Tai. You know, like these huge pop stars who are just dominating like stadiums in Taiwan. Um, and those are the people who get the support. There isn't as much of a, uh, I guess, support network for indie musicians. At least, not that I was aware. But I know that it exists because a lot of people obviously work in it. And a lot right. of people, um, you know, everywhere there has to be an underground music scene. You just, have, you just have to, like, look for it deeply. And when I was there growing up, I, w- I didn't look for it hard enough, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that there is hip-hop in Taiwan. Uh, there's hip-hop in China. There's hip-hop, you know, all, all across uh, Asia. Like, underground stuff and mainstream stuff. Um, I think, you know, Chinese rap is getting really popular right now. Mm-hmm. You know, people who rap in Chinese. Um, what is her name? I can't quite remember, but she wrote a song called Queen or mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, and then she is kind of, uh, I think, oh, Miss Ko, I think. Okay. Yeah, so Miss Ko is like a Taiwanese rapper who, uh, you know, uh, is, I think, ma- yeah, she is major label backed, but she, um, you know, did a collaboration with you know my cousin who is a pop star in Taiwan. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That's it's kind of cool. weird. It's kind of a weird story, but uh, yeah, she is a rapper. She's like you know female Asian rapper, uh, and she's one of like the bigger folks who are doing hip hop. But I'm sure there are other people. Sure. Um, and you know, in China, which is like just across the strait, there's this huge show called I don't know what it's called in English, but in Chinese it's called Zhongguo mm-hmm. Xiha, uh, which means China has hip hop, uh, which is really just like a uh, reality show for like rappers, and some of That's them got awesome. like so obscene that China has started to like crack down and like you know hip hop culture. They're oh, like, wow. oh, we don't want to like broadcast this. You know, it's sure. not like it's it doesn't have meaning or content. <laughs> you know, like communist China kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you look at, at people like Higher Brothers, um, yeah. who are basically the Chinese Migos, right. they they're. they're they're my gu- guilty pleasure, honestly. Sure. They're really lit, but their stuff has no content whatsoever. <laughs> but it's so cool. It's so cool. They rap in Chinese. Yeah. I think that there's nothing wrong with having... Like, I openly have admitted on this podcast before that I'm a fan of Taylor Swift. I mm-hmm. like her music. I mm-hmm. think it's catchy. Mm-hmm. Some of it's actually very interesting. And yeah. I think there's nothing wrong with enjoying pop artists or artists who you think have no substance, as it were. Because I think the substance is really what you get from it emotionally, even if it's just joy or enjoyment. Um, So I'm going to guess that a lot of your influences on your current music style came from more modern influences, stuff that are from the States, that kind of music. Exactly. So I would say that two of my big influences early on were, you know, Linkin Park, early Linkin Park, and, you know, early 2000s Eminem. Uh, Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) People say that that makes sense. Um... I, I I don't really hear it, but yes, Eminem is an influence on me. Um, I, I th- think I, it. I would tell say. Tell me what you hear, though. So what I would say is because you know I liked a lot of early Eminem, and I I listened to Lincoln Park all the way until Chester Bennington passed. Like yeah. I was a big fan, and I still like Mike Shinoda. Mm-hmm. He actually has a new record coming out in June that I'm yeah. interested to hear. Yeah, yeah. And so I guess I hear it because. Both of those bands, you know, uh, both Eminem and Linkin Park mixed a lot of hip-hop with other genres. And so I can totally hear that. I mean, you know, Eminem did have this sense of humor to him, even though some of his stuff was lewd or even inappropriate. Mm -hmm. There's still a kind of tongue-in-cheek to it. And I think even Linkin Park, at least in their live performances and, like, some of their 
uh, persona experience, you know, there was some tongue in cheek too. For sure. Even though a lot of the music was really dark or coming yeah. from a place of suffering, I think there was still a bit of tongue in cheek. Yeah. And I definitely get a sense of that from your work. For sure. For so sure. I can totally see that. Um, also, it's hard to grow up in the 90s and 2000s and not get into Linkin Park because yeah. they kind of just did a little bit of everything. Uh-huh. And I feel like anybody who didn't like their later stuff was just kind of hating on them because of the evolution. <laughs> but that's a whole different other story. Yeah, I have to say that Minutes to Midnight was pretty okay for me. Yeah, um, and I then actually I, was a fan of that one. Yeah, it took me a little while to get into the, the ones that came after, but yeah. I will have to say that Meteor is my favorite because it was the first one I heard. Meteor is yeah. a good one. I gr- mm-hmm. I, I'm a little bit older than you, I think, and so I grew up listening to Hybrid Theory when I was in high school, sure. and I loved that record. But yeah, it wasn't until Meteor that I think I really got a sense of the band and the kind of stuff they did. Mm-hmm. And like to me, you know, before Linkin Park, I thought that rock and hip hop was was Limp Bizkit, which because yeah. at the time that was kind of it. Right. But you know, I think for me anyway, uh, Linkin Park was a gateway to nerdcore only because nerd. I'm sure nerdcore existed, but not in the transparency that it does now. Yeah. And so like these these rockers who were also rapping and yeah. like singing these emotional tracks because I think for me personally as a fan of nerdcore, I really like emotional or like um, realistic music. I guess you know. Totally. Right? I love a narrative and I love good stories. I love concept albums, but mm-hmm. like emotional songs, like a lot of the stuff that Doctor Awkward does. Yeah. I can relate to and so I tend to enjoy more. It's why I think I like Artist Anthem so much because mm-hmm. even though it leans more into a punk sensibility and yeah. less a hip hop, uh-huh. what I really gravitate towards is how real the song is, especially sure. the video too. For sure. I think you will like the song Mistakes. It's okay. track eight on the album. Okay. Um, it is, you know, very geared towards hip hop. It's Excellent. like pretty pure hip hop, and it's it's the fucking deepest one on the album. So, t- so I, tell me a little bit about that song and maybe the writing process that led up to that song. Uh, I wrote that in January of this year. I was severely depressed. I was okay. not able to get out of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, I was waking up at one p.m. every day. Uh, I was I, I was like you know not able to do anything. I was non-functional. I was not you know uh, inspired, uh, and this was like the only way I could like kind of get out my suffering. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, this this whole you know song mistakes is kind of. Uh, the hook goes, I don't really know where to go from here. I want to make mistakes, but I'm cold with fear. Do I have what it takes? Am I just being stupid? I want to change the world, but I don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how the hook goes. It's all about kind of my existential crisis of like, you know, me existing. What, you know, is, is what I'm, I'm doing mattering in right. any sense? Uh, and also, you know, how has my ego prevented me from, you know, various opportunities in my life? Sure. I make a lot of apologies to like people I've hurt in the past. Mm-hmm. I make a lot of, you know, I talk about a lot of regrets. I was like, oh, you know, I should have kept up with this program. I should have, you know, um, not betrayed this friend, you know. And it's it's kind of like a sprawling narrative, but I think it all kind of ties back into this existential dread. And after I wrote it, you know, uh, things started getting better. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. I think, I think the therapy of music and the fact that you can kind of get out what you're feeling either from listening to it or writing it is really always fascinating to me. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your rapping and your spit speed. So, especially on Glasses, I think what impressed me about that song is how fast the verses are and how fast you can go. <laughs> is that is that something that you were always kind of just able to do? You were good with words? Or did you have to build to that kind of a skill? So, I am actually good with words, I would consider. Mm. Um uh, you know, I've always been like, you know, SAT vocabulary, whatever. Um, as far as diction goes, that is something that I've had to work on really strongly. Um, it's not obvious, but my English has not always been as good as it is now. Uh, just because I grew up in like a Chinese speaking country. Sure, of course. And I was speaking both languages regularly, but um, it took me a while to like kind of get my English up to a place where I wouldn't like stumble over words. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to speak it a lot more. I had to move out here. I had to, you know, talk to a lot of people. And I did theater uh, in college where every single time I acted, people, you know, directors would tell me, you need to enunciate. <laughs> and that really hurt my feelings. But I was sure. like, okay, fine. Um, I'm going to work on it. And so I kind of just, you know, got into the habit of, you know, over-enunciating every syllable. Um, you know, one of the fast rappers I'm inspired by is Watsky. You know, you mm-hmm. can understand his, like, you know, fast rapping, regardless of how fast he's going, because, you know, he has great diction. He had he had a lisp for a really long time. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, and he, like, struggled through it through, you know, uh, spoken word poetry. And so I was like, you know, if he can do it, I can too. So I, I, I practiced a lot. I used to want my fast rapping to be a gimmick. You mm-hmm. know, something like, oh, you know, Mac Lethal rap 
that's like you know a hundred uh, uh, mac and cheese burger references for like ten seconds. Right. <laughs> but um, I kind of wanted to do something more like you know uh, contentful than that. Sure. Um, uh, still, I wanted to flex how fast I could rap in glasses. So yeah. It kind of worked out. It, de- it definitely comes across, and it's yeah. always something I'm always impressed by. You know, we were talking about Schaefer a little earlier, and mm-hmm. like. He's always done it on his records, but some of his more recent songs, he he'll have these moments where he just spits really quick and then and goes back into whatever the hook is. And mm-hmm. those kinds of moments to me are always, you know, what I consider the guitar solos of hip hop. Like oh, I love I love hearing yeah. those. I love hearing that because I feel like not only is it showing off a little bit, but it's also just a really cool thing to pick apart, especially auditorily. Like listening to glasses over and over. I can hear, I catch words that I think I might have missed before just because of the speed that you're moving. And I like kind of discovering the content as I pick it apart. It's fascinating to me. You know, I really appreciate that you took your time with that. You know, uh, picking apart the syllables is something that I had to do to learn how to construct rap lyrics. Sure. And I would take like, you know, Eminem songs. I would like figure out where the rhymes were, like mm-hmm. internal rhymes, you know, external rhymes, things like that. Um, and to hear that, you know, you take your time with it and you take your time to figure out where, where the syllables are and like you know what's actually going on it's really cool to me it's like that level of kind of uh, exploration of a song that a lot of people don't really get into so I appreciate that thank you yeah, yeah. I, I'm I, I mean I've always been a huge music nerd and like I engage with music unlike a lot of other people and the fact that I feel like it's more of a hobby and something I engage in focused mm-hmm. like playing a video game or reading a book like I like to sit and just listen to music yeah. and not necessarily do anything else just yeah. focus in on it yeah. and hear all the different instrumentations I feel like also the more complex songs you get rewarded for that because you'll catch things that you never noticed before that you'll always notice going forward because you find it in the instrumentation yeah absolutely Um, when you so we were talking a little earlier about um the song um, that michael kill helped you on and how you created the bones of it and then sent it to him Uh to kind of flesh out did you do that with all the producers you work with do you kind of create an instrumentation you know blueprint and then kind of reach out for some uh, building on it yeah, I can tell you exactly which songs I did that for. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that for Artist Anthem, mm-hmm. I did that for Luther, and I did that for Psych Major. Okay. Uh, so those ones I composed, I made, like, you know, I programmed a MIDI uh, program with, like, you know, cheap MIDI instrumentation and things like sure. that. I was like, hey, take this, make it dope. <laughs> <laughs> so then for the other songs, do you do you reach out for just the bass beats? You, do you start from kind of scratch with those producers? It depends. Uh, I have a couple of workflows the first workflow I already talked about is right. like I compose something I send it off to a producer uh, they flesh it out they add their own spin on it um, and then I record vocals to it you know at that point I already have like the vocals written you know because I pretty much wrote the entire song so that's right. workflow one uh, workflow two is I come up with like lyrics mm-hmm. and then I need to figure out kind of uh, a beat that goes with it so I you know might record the lyrics to a click track and then send it off to a producer say hey build the beat around this this is kind of of what I wanted to sound like. I wanted to have like gnarly instrumentation. I wanted to have like, you know, a lot of, you know, distorted samples. So that's how Peep Game was made. Nice. Um, and then there are some situations, Workflow 3, where, you know, I reach out to producers and say, hey, send me some pre made beats. Mm-hmm. And then they send me something. And then I, you know, uh, write over it. I come up with like a hook for it. And I just like, you know, create, I kind of build the lyrics around the beats. So that's Workflow 3. I did that with mistakes. And mm-hmm. I did that, w- no, I didn't do that with mistakes. Mistakes was uh, I found a beat that matched with lyrics I had already written. Uh, Curse of Creativity, which mm-hmm. is track number six, uh, I did that, which is um, J.W. Friedman sent me like a beat that he had already completed. I was like, okay, cool, I can do something with this. And I right. wrote an entire song around it. Yeah, That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Peep Game is one of those songs that has an energy to it. I think that's why, that song is why I believe that you're a Linkin Park fan, because yeah. it's just, it's got that guitar hook in the instrumentation that feels very rock and roll, even though once the drums kick in, it feels very hip hop. I think it's just the mix of those sounds that feels very Linkin Park to me, even though the song at a a full scope doesn't feel like a Linkin Park song. I can hear it in the construction a little bit. I honestly think that Linkin Park did the combination of rap and rock so seamlessly and like in such a modern and timeless way that no one else is ever gonna do it as well as they did. Well, Mm. maybe like Rage Against the Machine, but like, you know, that's like a little bit different. (laughs) 
Well, yeah, I, th- I feel like yeah. Rage Rage was always a little more punk rock. You yeah. know, yeah, you know, totally. even if they did a lot of classic rock and rock and roll, they yeah. had a kind of punk vibe, especially totally. since they were so political. Whereas yeah. Lincoln Park was more from an emotional emo kind of metal place, and so yeah. it just it's not ever going to quite be the same. Um, but I, what I like about those kinds of bands and a lot of nerdcore rappers that I've become uh, friendly with and indie rappers uh-huh. on the whole is that it seems like those kinds of artists are less afraid to mix genres. Totally. And to kind of just... So I guess the next thing I wanted to ask is when you're writing music and I guess writing new music since you've, uh, you're just about to release uh, Raging Ego... Do you set out with a goal of, like, I want this to be rock and roll, I want this to be a little more punk, or do you just kind of create the lyrics and then see where it goes? Again, it depends on which workflow I'm taking. Mm -hmm. Um, As I like to say, it's an art, not a science. Um, (laughs) There's really no way to plan it out, be like, oh, you know, I want this song to, like, you know, sound super rock and roll. You know, sometimes the hook just kind of forms itself around this, like, rock and roll concept. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's, like, purely hip-hop. What I really do like is, you know, combining these, like, fat, like hip hop drums mm-hmm. with like you know guitar instrumentation and things like that um, and so you know there isn't really a way where I plan for certain things to sound like a certain genre mm-hmm. uh, it really is just what feels right and sometimes I-, I can never control how I'm inspired to write songs and sometimes right. I'm just inspired to like you know uh, write down this riff uh, this like you know piano riff or something that like you know evolves into a like you know dancey pop track for example right. I can never predict where it goes um, let's talk a little bit about the music videos that you've put out on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, Artist Anthem is the one that stands out to me just because it's got multiple locations and yeah. there's quite a bit of, like, sketch scene kind of comedy moments. Uh-huh. Um, when when making that video, did you storyboard it? Did you have an idea of how you wanted it to look? Or mm-hmm. did the director kind of take control with that? So, it was a um, kind of co-storyboarding uh, experience with my director, Jordan Rose. Okay. Uh, Jordan Rose is a friend of mine from, you know, theater in college and he also you know kind of shoots DIY music videos and uh, he really liked the song he was like I I am so into making a music video for it mm-hmm. and you know we took kind of the whole thing could have actually spanned five months because we had to you know book the places we had to like book the office space right. we had to you know uh, get the extras and things like that but you know we met up multiple times to kind of figure out oh what do we want the story to be because he wanted kind of a story you know a trajectory as opposed to just kind of like a basic like you know rapping at the camera rap right. video which I also like and You're I'm sure, going to film um, but in in that particular situation there was a lot of moving parts mm-hmm. and so I had to work with him and you know kind of storyboard it out it was definitely a collaborative thing and I mm-hmm. like to have a lot of uh, personal input in how I want the final you know product to look because uh, a lot of the times I edit the final videos. Oh, cool! Um, That's awesome. Not not this time around, but not well, not for artist anthem, but for you know upcoming videos. I'm gonna you know ed- edit them myself, and so uh, I want to have a lot of creative control over it. I also acknowledge that having help is useful. Sure, so, of course. Yeah. Um, I think what I like most about the artist anthem video is the fact that you kind of you you scope a lot of different locations. Like there's an office space scene, there's a lunch scene where you're yeah. outside, yeah. And then there's the live performance part, yeah. And I think the trend, the, the great thing. Of about the artist's anthem being an anthemic song is that it transitions seamlessly to those moments. Mm. Like, um, my favorite scene is when you're in the office and you get up and start singing to silence. Like, yeah. in every... And, like... In my heart, as an anxious person, I'm like, oh, no, like this is an embarrassing moment. And then everyone just gets up and continues to sing the hook, I think was really cool. Oh, thank you. I, I like moments like that where you're kind of taken out of the video and immediately connect with the artist like, uh-oh, outburst time. I wonder mm-hmm. how this is going to go. And then it moves into the song just continuing forward. I think yeah. that was a, a cool moment. Um so that means, I guess, that you are working on videos mm-hmm. for song other songs on the album. Yes. Do you know, have you decided what the next single is going to be from the record? Uh, probably Psych Major. Psych Major, um, cool. I already have a good idea for it. Uh, you know, I have access to that therapist space that I used um, in Artist Anthem, mm-hmm. where, you know, there's a therapist who's like, I'm talking to. Right. Um, so I have access to that space. I'm probably going to be the therapist this time. And That's very cool. My plan is to have a lot of, like, dancing for with like fake beards and shit like that. <laughs> that sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, and so cool. you know, just like a lot of bizarre therapy sessions um, mm-hmm. with me as like this completely out of whack therapist. Um, and so that is one of the ideas. And 
Actually, without spoiling too much, actually, this is spoiling too much. The other idea I ha- that I have for that one is the psychiatric help booth from uh-huh. Peanuts, uh-huh. where I cosplay as Lucy. That's um, very cool. And yell at people on the street. <laughs> that, that, that could be a lot of fun, too. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. For sure. um, I look forward to, to seeing that. Mm-hmm. Um, talking a little bit about stuff outside of your music. So, mm-hmm. obviously, you're influenced by the things around you. You make references to comic books and your songs and other things. Yeah. Um, are there any other forms of media that you really draw from for your music, like movies, TV, comics, and, and the like? Uh, I, I'm an anime nerd. You're an anime yeah, nerd. Yeah, I'm an Excellent. anime nerd. I acknowledge that. Um, I, What's your favorite anime? Psychopaths. Psychopaths. Are you familiar? I haven't seen it. I've okay. heard of it, though. Okay. Like, so I'm, I'm a 90s kid, and like I grew up in the, in the 2000s watching stuff like Cowboy Bebop and okay. Trigun yeah. and Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sailor Moon. Uh-huh. And so like a lot of the modern stuff I haven't kept up with. Yeah. But so tell me a little bit about Psychopaths. Psychopaths was released in 2012, mm-hmm. one of my favorite years of my life. Um, <laughs> one of the reasons being I moved here. Right. Um, Psychopaths is about a dystopian future uh, where, you know, uh, there are scanners pretty much everywhere mm-hmm. that can scan your emotional health. Interesting. And uh, it can basically scan, you know, how mentally sane you are and you have this, you know, kind of uh, a coefficient called the crime coefficient uh, where if your crime coefficient goes up like a, a uh, goes beyond a certain level, they can like kind of, you know, take you into custody, they can put you, you know, into a mental rehabilitation, um, you know, and your psychopath is basically like a general kind of uh, measure of how healthy you are mentally. So the oh. darker the color, the less mentally healthy you are. And, Interesting. Yeah, and you're targeted by the government if you have things that go beyond like the prescribed level. And so it really is a uh, very reminiscent of this Chinese social credit system that mm-hmm. they're actually implementing right now in China, where scanners in the street can scan people and see you know how you know how good they are basically That's and weird. yeah and it's really strange and there's a black mirror episode about this too and it's mm-hmm. like it's kind of reminiscent of you know a minority report as okay. well um but it's like set in you know japan in uh, uh 2112 uh, okay yeah so like 100 years from 2012 and yeah it's a really really interesting kind of mix of organic and uh, digital kind of um, sounds in the soundtrack mm. and also organic and digital living, basically. Interesting. Yeah. And w- so with something like that, would you ever be interested in writing a song or doing a rap about that kind of material like absolutely. the anime? Yeah, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, so I'm thinking about collaborating uh, with none like Joshua who mm. like writes anime raps for a living. Oh, nice. Um, and I, I was like, you know, hey, you want to do a psychopath rap? Uh, I, I, I got to make sure I get on that. That's still like on my radar. That's cool. Uh, but at the same time, I was telling you earlier about this like, you know, concept album idea that I got in New York City. Right. Um, which is, and this is like, you know, I, I've told a couple people about this during my trip, but and I don't know if this is something that will actually come into fruition, but right. I'm just going to tell you right now. So the idea is called Millennial Cyborg, mm-hmm. um, where if you're familiar with Bicentennial Man, it's yeah, a, totally. Yeah, it, I really like that movie as a kid. It's you know, you know, Cyborg Man who like transitions into like being an actual human. For me, this is going to be a trajectory of me going to, into the opposite, uh, where transitioning I, like, from human to a cyborg. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the idea is starting from like a really organic sound and ending in like these really like gnarly like industrial like digital sounds and That's kind of really like. Cool. Cool. trajectory of me becoming a cyborg, you know, and interacting with different uh, elements of, um, you know, my identity. You know, how does my female identity uh, fit in with, like, you know, augmentations that I can get uh, right, that sure. I can consider, like, cyborg you know? Right. Um, you know, cybernetic limb impl- replacements, you know, breaking up with my phone. That is, like, one of the ideas. You saw that uh, yeah. picture. Yeah. I did. Yeah, I did so see that. I was inspired by a book at the Strand that says how to break up with your phone, and I was like, I can write a song about that sounds like I'm breaking up with someone, but it's actually hey, like about my, your phone. Yeah, that's a great yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, just like a, that. That's the concept, and I have a couple of things. I went to the VR room. You know. I saw that. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. very cool. Yeah, and you know, I I did like a virtual reality driving thing. I mm-hmm. have such a fear of driving. Um, really? Yeah, I actually do. It's the most stereotypical Asian woman thing <laughs> in the world. Um, I I really really fear driving, and when I first like put on the headset, I was like, oh shit, this is like really triggering me. Um, but I, I sat through it, and I was like, you know what? This is actually a great experience. So I might talk about like driverless cars or I don't know, like basically how it 
you know interacts with me but i'm i'm gonna try and do more like character work in that one because and less autobiographical so yes probably i will draw some inspiration from like you know sci-fi things like yeah. psychopaths steins gate is like yeah. you know a time travel anime also from like around that time okay. 2011 uh that i also really like you know just things like that that's really cool yeah, yeah i think the the ability to draw from that kind of stuff um, is really important. And I think that, you know, there are plenty of bands who still put out concept albums, but I think from what it sounds like, you're more concerned with the sound being a concept and also the the content of the lyrics. Yeah. But I think having like kind of a multi-path tier to getting and conveying that message is really interesting. Totally. I mean, we live in a life where we're completely controlled by the tech that we use. Yeah. And like, while I love Facebook and Twitter and I love being able to promote the stuff that I work on, yeah. you know, it's a double-edged sword. Like, there are pictures out there on the internet of me that I'll never get back. They're just there, <laughs> whatever they were. And so I've kind of come to this place where, like, I've decided, all right, it is what it is. But I'm also a gamer, and a lot of video games deal with this, like you know, what do we do if robots become sentient? And what do we do if, you know, we get overtaken by technology? And so mm -hmm. I think doing an album like that is really timely, especially yeah. with shows like Black Mirror. Yeah. I think doing that for your next record is a really cool idea. Yeah, and I'm going to um, kind of, you said that, you know, the sound is going to kind of have that trajectory. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to try my best to explore a variety of different topics. Um, but at the same time, I'm kind of drawing from this sci-fi short story slash novel called uh, Flowers for Algernon. Okay. Uh, if you're familiar with that one. It's I've basically, heard the title. Yeah, yeah. It's basically a man with a low IQ gets, like, you know, this um, uh, upgrade, um, you know, uh, this pill. Oh, yeah. He takes an experimental pill, and he has to write down his progress every single day, so he writes, like, a journal entry every single day. And with the journal entries, you see him being, like, a really low IQ man, uh, progressing into becoming a genius mm. and then just you know for the sake of for the sake of this I'm gonna spoil it um, the experimental drug sucks and actually does not last yeah. and it actually causes rapid deterioration of the mind oh, after no. you reach its peak and so he goes from being this genius all the way back into this low IQ man again and like he you you watch him like lose his kind of like intellect and it's really heartbreaking and it's really like disturbing um, but I want to kind of explore what that looks like you know um, is becoming a cyborg a good thing for yeah. me? Is it going to improve like my emotional and like intellectual health, or is it going to damage it? Right. Yeah. No, that's really cool, and that's uh -huh. a, a really good idea. I think that we rely a lot on technology. Like, I don't memorize phone numbers anymore. Most nope. of the time, trivia I don't retain. Like, mm -hmm. it's like I can just Google it. Yeah. And so I think that's an ex an interesting concept to explore. Um, but sticking to technology, obviously, like social media has been, I imagine, really helpful mm -hmm. for you and for your music. I mean, it's how we connected. Yes. Do you find that you understand and are are um, excited to utilize social media to promote your stuff? Do you yeah. feel a connection to it? Um, I am one of the few people who really likes social media. I like spending a lot of time on it. I recognize how terrible it is for my mental health. It is terrible. It is really bad. It is the first thing I check in the morning and it is not good for me. Um, but I love it. I'm like, I, I acknowledge that I'm addicted to it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it has been very, very good at, you know, connecting me with people around the country, sure. around the world. I've always used social media and, you know, online forums, digital chat rooms and things like that to make friends because I didn't have friends in, you know, middle school and high school. Um, you know, not as much because I was kind of a loner and a weirdo mm -hmm. and a loser. And so I didn't have friends. Um, I like digital communication. A lot of people don't like, you know, texting or, mm -hmm. you know, talking digitally. Like, you know, when I used to be on online dating sites, they would be like, oh, I don't like talking digitally. Can we just like meet up in person? <laughs> I'm just like, bitch, if you can't talk to me online, you can't talk to me in person. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just funny. Like, I, I was of a generation where I was experiencing the transition of talking online. And yeah. like, when I was younger and I first started playing like MMOs online or playing like, you know, StarCraft or, or, or Warcraft online and talking to complete strangers and playing games, people were kind of like, oh, well, that's weird. I don't understand why you would do that. Where now, like, everybody talks to strangers. Like, yeah. when you're tweeting at somebody, if it's a celebrity, you don't know them, they're a stranger. Yeah. And it's so much more commonplace now. And it's fascinating to me 
that shift because I still play games online with tons of friends that I grew up with who've moved away. Uh -huh. But I also definitely meet people within the games that I don't know personally that uh -huh. I just like playing these games with. And same thing with like, you know, we became friendly on Facebook through our mutual love of music. Yeah. But that could have never happened 20 years ago no. because there was no access. And so I yeah. think it's really fascinating also as a podcaster that we have this tool that allows us to connect with people that otherwise we might not have ever known existed. Totally agree. Yeah. You know, and I think that will always be one of the overwhelming benefits. Like, I knew Schaefer, who saw your set and filmed your song so uh -huh. I could watch it, so I could reach out. Like, yeah, it's just, imagine that. <laughs> it's a chain of events that could not really happen any other way unless I saw you live at South By, which I wasn't at. Right. So I think that's really interesting. Exactly. And, like, you know, you being his follower on Instagram is also, you know, something that... Uh, would have helped you see that and right like, you know following each other being connected in that way um, is also one of the things that you know uh, preceded this connection happening yeah totally um, do you feel like you have a closeness to the people who listen to your music through social media Sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. I'm unable to make a strong communication with that many people. Okay. Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm like, uh, I'm very extroverted when I'm performing. Okay. Um, I'm very extroverted in a show context and business context. I can market, you know, like a pro. I used to be like, you know, a marketing agent for tech companies. I had to just like shoot the shit with people all the time and like right. talk about things that I don't really care about, but make them feel like they're cared about. <laughs> um, that's the psych major in me. But, right. <laughs> uh, as far as like making close connections goes, I have a lot of like personal walls that I put up I really, that. really high. Sure. And it's really hard for me to like make every fan my friend. Sure, of course. Yeah. And and, and I totally get that. I feel like also, you know, your fans, I think, and, and people who listen to your music are going to get a lot of connection from the music. And yeah. so they're going to feel like they know you. And that's yeah. one of the downsides, I feel like, to social media is there trans there's a transparency that wouldn't have existed before this tech. Yeah. Because people can see all the things you're doing, all the stuff you're posting. So there's a, that. yeah, there's a line in Curse of Creativity where I talk about just that. It's, yeah. um, uh, what do you do when your most secret intent is also the thing you share to your social media friends? What do you do when your confessional medium is the subject of public scrutiny because everyone's seeing it? That's awesome. <laughs> right. So I like address this because uh, exactly. <laughs> also, I'm excited to have gotten you to rap live twice on this show. That's always fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I, I think that's really interesting. And we don't always, like, for me, I know I don't always think about those consequences. I kind of just keep going and keep pushing forward. But, yeah. you know, I'm definitely someone who can be extroverted at shows. But when I've had enough, I really, I close on, I close in on myself pretty quickly. Yeah. And so I can relate to that. Totally agree. Um, yeah. When... When on stage, though, does all that go away? Do you just kind of feel like you're so uh, wrapped up in what you're doing that a lot of that stuff doesn't get to you? Yeah, pretty much. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I've been a performer pretty much all my life, so mm -hmm. uh, I'm very comfortable on stage. You know, before I go on stage, I'm always nervous, uh, regardless of how many shows I do. Sure. Uh, but then I go on stage, all gone. I just do it. That must and be I, awesome. Like, yeah, I just like, you know. Uh, look into people's eyes, yell in their faces, and, you know, it, it works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, isn't that what all rappers are doing? Just yeah. yelling at people's faces? <laughs> Pretty much, um, yeah. So uh, I imagine with South By and now doing, uh, uh, as of this recording, it's the day before HushCon, which you're performing with uh, Dual Core, Michael Kill, and Shave for the Dark Lord. Uh -huh. um, do you plan on doing more live shows and touring around a little more? Mm, yes, I, that is the goal for the next uh, half year. Oh, awesome. I really want to tackle music videos, mm -hmm. and I also want to set up uh, tours. And, you know, I, probably like 2019, I'm going to, you know, uh, tour, a lot, tour a lot more. Um, honestly, I think what is kind of um, what... What what is I guess lucrative for me right now and mm -hmm. like both a financial and a you know fan like you know eyeballs uh, uh, perspective is touring because yeah. I realize that a lot of people who like my stuff don't live in my state no and uh, the West Coast can be hard to get around because it's like all the cities are so you know far apart I really want to do an East Coast tour mm -hmm. I was gonna do an East Coast tour this year like right now <laughs> but I just got New York City um, and yeah. that was that was like through you know a hush con and I really appreciated them for doing that but the other dates like kind of fell through um, but you know East Coast tour is like in my head mm -hmm. I want to do it I want to do like a South tour mm -hmm. um, Lots of folks in Texas like me, awesome. uh, as I learned in Austin. Um, and so that is definitely in the cards. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that um, 
while the the social media connection we're talking about before is really important, I feel like face to face connection there's nothing quite like it. You know, when you see a okay. band live, I mean. Um, like I said earlier, I first discovered Schaefer's music through Frontalot um, because he opened for him. Yeah. And like I love Schaefer's CDs, but I will always like his live performances more because yeah. he's got an energy that you can't like. It's kind of hard to bottle on a on a record unless totally you do great. a live record. Uh -huh. And so like I think my strong I think that's why I connected to your music so strongly initially was because I saw a video of your live performance. If I had mm -hmm. listened to Glasses online, I still would have liked it. But yeah. there's an energy level that you can't quite gather from the recorded version yeah um unless you manipulate it to be so and so i yeah. think it's really interesting to really get out there and also i personally don't feel like i see a lot of live shows do you in oakland go see a lot of live shows bands come to your area i do um there are a lot of bands and rappers that come to oakland in mm -hmm. the last couple of months i've gotten to see some of my idols oh, including like wax big a uh, big wax nice. um watsky uh, and you know i got to see them amazing live performers i think the live show is so important Important. You know, mm -hmm. I am, you know, a performer at heart. I want to make sure that I'm entertaining. I'm not just a rapper. I'm not just an MC. I'm an entertainer, you know? Sure. I want people to have a good time and, like, you know, laugh and, like, get something out of it, you know? Sure. I want to bring value to people, and I feel like entertainment is the value that I bring. Um, and I will say that I'm trying to, like, import the live show energy into my recordings. Sure. And I think, like... It's gonna come through a little bit more on Raging Ego. Mm -hmm. uh, like Peep Game sounds super, super energetic sure. uh, in, in recording, um, but there is something about like just like that live show magic that you yeah. can't always recreate. Yeah, yeah. But I definitely get a sense of that. Like listening to the remix of Glasses versus the original, or some of the newer tracks versus Glasses, which was the first song I heard. Yeah. There's definitely an increase in energy, and it's just also a shift in production can also create that. And so totally, it's really neat to see that. Um, are you very hands on with the final mix and the production? or do you have producers who kind of just help you with that? Um, uh, so I got a mixing engineer. Mm -hmm. uh, he's local to Oakland. Uh, his name is Incooperative or Cooper. And I, I tracked everything in his studio and, you know, we like kind of, you know, we're in the studio together kind of working on things, working out kinks and things like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, as far as the mastering goes, uh, Bill Beats mastered everything. Awesome. And so Very I just cool. sent all the waves to him and he was like, done, 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 done. In four <laughs> days, everything was done. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Very cool. So I wasn't, because Bill, is, uh, well, Nick or Bill Beats is in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't get to like kind of be hands on the process with that. But it's not like I understand anything about mastering <laughs> anyway. So, that's fair, yeah. Uh, let him take the wheel. As far as you're concerned, it's magic, and that's fine. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about the uh, the album cover of Raging You, because I like talking sure. about artwork. So yeah. clearly it's a, a drawn version of yourself and uh -huh. an, art, an art style that I'm familiar with because I've seen before. But for the, the listeners at home, tell them a little bit about who created that artwork for you. Yeah, sure. Uh, so Atomic Rat Studios is based out of Orlando, Florida. It's mm -hmm. made up of Rando and Cat. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how I got in touch with Rando I think I just I was you know sourcing artists and stuff and he was like hey look at my stuff and I was like oh wow this is really good also your rates are really reasonable <laughs> and um, I was just like hey Rando do you want to make my album cover and I was like here's the idea it was actually inspired by this uh, photo that I took at South by Southwest oh nice oh you saw that one yeah. oh you saw that one it was like me in a Schaefer t-shirt yep. with like yeah, yeah, the, with the, the selfie thing yeah. um, and then uh, Maglo uh, who was who's an Orlando-based uh, musician was like, you should make this your album cover. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> I'm going to change the angle a little bit, but yes. Um, and so that was like kind of where it came from. I think a lot of people give uh, people shit about taking selfies, but it's kind of like it's the most tongue-in-cheek thing that you can do yeah. to show how much of an ego you have. You're like, fuck it, I love myself, I'm going to take a selfie, you know? Yeah, yeah and that's like kind of totally. the attitude that like permeates this album. It's like, you know, uh, mindless self-indulgence you know and yeah. uh you know that uh, they they did a great job they had you know they kind of stylized my face uh, yeah. and you know made me look larger than life which is cool <laughs> um they're also working on a kind of booklet um uh, mm -hmm. for me uh, where they're gonna draw a picture for each song and i'm oh, gonna nice. print it out and have it be like a booklet for merch oh that's yeah. cool that's really so neat i love that, that. uh-huh that's awesome yeah i think that um 
I'm a person who's a fan of artwork and like it took me a long time doing myself off physical CDs and like the boxes and everything but I like that kind of physical content mm -hmm. so I think creating that kind of stuff is really neat and, totally. and having these kind of like larger than life versions of yourself that are made like I'm honored anytime I'm featured in a friend's comic or like they do like a quick sketch of me because I'm like this is me being immortalized yeah. in ink like of the comic generation like it's just a really cool thing to see mm -hmm. that is something that I really like is Lex fan art yeah. Some someone um, I requested someone draw a cyborg version of me and they fucking kicked ass on that awesome. it's on my Instagram you can probably find it by scrolling through it awesome. um, but that was also like one of the inspirations of like I want to see myself as a cyborg hmm cyborg millennial <laughs> yeah. yeah nice yeah um, before we wrap up there's one other thing I wanted to ask and it's kind of a cheesy question but I, I like asking asking musicians and creators this because, you know, I feel like none of us really know what we're doing in the beginning. We're all just kind of faking it until we figure it out. Yeah. If there's one piece of advice you could give an artist starting out right now, maybe something that you didn't know initially that you know now, what would that be? Um, if there's an artist starting out, let me just repeat the question. Sure. If there's an artist starting out that, uh, what advice would I give them? Yeah. Okay. Um, that I didn't know initially. Uh, uh, gosh, this is hard. Um, if you don't look like you believe you're the shit, yeah, nobody will think you're the shit. That's you, very good advice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. That is my standard thing. Yeah. Well, I think also it, it comes from a place of, yeah, if you're not confident in what you do, why would anyone else be? Exactly. Uh, oh, and, and, and that leads me into kind of like where this goes is you always have to be offering value to the audience. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, self-indulgence is great, uh, but at the same time, also, you know, you need to acknowledge what kind of value you're bringing to the audience, you know, like what kind of entertainment, what are they looking for? And what are they like, you know, looking to hear? Um, and are you bringing anything new to the table? Mm -hmm. uh, are you bringing, bringing your own perspective? Are you, you know, kind of, uh, kind of just rehashing, you know, similar ideas from like the past? Are you being authentic? You know, are you bringing something new of value to the table uh, that people can consume? And, uh, you know, people, I think, this is just personal. Mm -hmm. um, no artist deserves attention. <laughs> you need to get the attention. Sure. And you need to command the attention. And if you don't come off as a person who commands the attention, you're not going to get that attention. And if you start bitching about not getting that attention, <laughs> ooh, you're, you're in for a rough time. Because <laughs> no one um, is obligated to listen to your stuff. Sure. No one is obligated to pay attention to you. Not even your friends. No one is obligated to support you. You have to give them the incentive and you have to target the audience you know your friends are not necessarily your fans and your fans are not necessarily your friends yeah your fans totally. are people who like to listen to the stuff that you create because it brings value to them so yeah. who are those people who do they like already mm -hmm. like do they like mc front a lot uh, <laughs> like who are those people what do they look like yeah. um where do they inhabit you know where what what cities do they live in um, and how can you access them? Those are the people that you need to target in order to start making it. And that is my basic advice of like targeting and marketing is like, you know, act like you're the shit, even if you don't feel like it and make sure that you're bringing value and target your audience. Well, that's that it. sounds really smart oh, advice for you. someone who struggled to get to there. I think that was totally worth it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, and then the last favor I'll ask is I have a saying on this show, which is kind of representative. It started because I had a music podcast that I did every week. Um, that's on hiatus currently. But it's this idea that um, if you're creating or involved in great art, then mm -hmm. life can't be bad. And so the saying is music is life and life is good. Yeah. So I would love if you could repeat that back and sign us off. Music is life and life is good. Peace. If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.